is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Hopefully, one of your favorite, if not your favorite, Chelsea podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here. And this is another one in our series of player profiles with our good friend Sam, CFC Central, breaking down another player that Chelsea have brought in, though not on a permanent deal, on a short-term solution as the injuries continue to mount in Chelsea's front line. The question is, where are the goals coming from? And the answer may in fact be Joao Felix, who is joining on a half-year loan from Atletico Madrid, uh, announced today when we are recording this, Wednesday, January 11th. And Sam has been hard at work doing some of the early analysis, making sure he's ready to joao wow us in terms of the information that he is going to provide. But Sam, just wanted to throw it to you. Uh, I know you've been working hard. We are all super appreciative of the extra work that you're doing. I imagine you were able to condense about 50 hours of game footage into about five hours of scouting this afternoon and this morning, your time, and you're ready to go. Yeah, I think uh, this time I've been a little more judicious with my time. So went through about six, seven games at most, like over the last two days. But uh, excited. Any kind of help considering the situation that we're in right now with about 10 or 11 injuries, I think is welcome. So um, really hoping uh, Joao can Joao us uh, this season. See, I'm returning the bad joke on air. I promise I would give you company. So... Uh, not leaving you hanging there. But uh, yeah, lots lots to discuss and uh, hopefully a lot of positivity with uh, a pretty uh, special talent, I would say. Well, hopefully our midfielders and other chance creators don't leave him hanging as well on the pitch when it comes to giving Chelsea a way to add to their goal tally, which in the Premier League has been bad. There's no other way to say it. It is abjectly horrible for a side that would deem themselves to be a perennial top four uh, you know challenger uh, not necessarily to the title but usually a pretty easy back into a top four finish where Chelsea have really struggled this season so we're going to get into the narrative we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the player we're going to get into the strengths we're going to talk about some of the weaknesses and then we're going to talk about what the potential is particularly over this short window that Felix is intending to be with Chelsea. Uh, This is a straight loan deal. This has been impacted by the injuries again to Christian Pulisic, who at the time of recording is now out for months. Raheem Sterling, who is still at time of recording, waiting for an analysis on his hamstring issue that he's uh, undergoing. Armando Broja, who is out until next season with his injury. And then also a potential, the rumor being Obama Yang going back to Spain, back to La Liga as another element within all of the moving pieces when it comes to Chelsea's attack. So we're going to get through all of that. We again want to thank everybody for leaving wonderful five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you can or if you haven't yet, or if you know a friend uh, who hasn't left a review, you should convince them to do that. It's really helpful. Sign up for our newsletter. It's awesome. And uh, don't forget to, you know, if you're interested in coming with us to see Chelsea play Dirty Leeds and Dortmund at home. In March, uh, we still have a few spots left in our tour. So you should sign up for that with our partner, XL Tours. It'd be really great to have you there. But with all that said, we're going to get into this episode. We're going to talk about the history of the player. And bonus, we're going to answer some of your questions as well because we did a little due diligence beforehand. So listen to some of your questions. And we're going to frame those throughout the episode as well. But Sam, it is time for your usual narrative section for you to walk people through the journey of the player, how... Each step in their path has brought them to West London, to SW6, to Chelsea, to wear the Royal Blue. And, yeah, I don't know. Uh, one of the questions was even how many times do we think we'll see him uh, tap the badge over the six-month spell? So you can uh, offer up a fun little <laughs> over-under line for that one as well. No, I think considering that he's still pretty young, he's only 23 years old, um, the journey has been pretty short. It's been pretty sweet. It's also been uh, pretty spectacular, to be honest. I mean, he is the fourth highest transfer fee of all time. He's the second most expensive teenager of all time. So um, lots of pressure for a young player. Um, mostly, I, I would like to begin with the fact that he was actually with Porto's Youth Academy when, when he was young, uh, moved to the rivals Benfica in about 2015. There are dubious reasons. Uh, Porto say that you know it was because 
he wasn't physically up to the task. He's very slight, didn't have the physicality for it. Um, but Felix himself says that he left, you know, on his own volition. He just wanted it as a matter of choice. So he moved in 2015. He made his debut at just 17 years old. And in his only season with Benfica, he won them the, the title. And his stats were off the charts, something that we'll reference later on in the episode. Uh, like I said, then after that, a world record transfer fee, something putting an extreme amount of pressure on his shoulders, especially moving to a side like Atletico, which isn't really known for free-flowing, um, you know, flamboyant, swashbuckling football, as you would say in European terms. But uh, he's been he's been struggling. Let's let's put it right. He's just been um, going through all sorts of issues in in the past three years that he's been with Atletico. Um, injuries have been an issue. His um, his relationship with uh, Diego Simeone has been an issue. The playing style of the side itself, the way Simeone wants to drill his players. Uh, if you've heard about El Profe, who is Atletico Madrid's fitness coach, um, before the season starts, he takes them on a slope called the murder slope and essentially makes his players sprint uphill until they vomit. So uh, not really ideal as a young player when you're moving from, from Benfica to, to Spain and, and trying to figure out whether you can make it. And being subjected to that level of intense physical preparation. So he's had to change a lot of things and probably not happy as a creative player to do more of the grafting and hard running rather than, you know, focusing on uh, the finer aspects of the craft. So I think he's struggled a little bit there, but uh, eventually helped Atletico win a league title in 2021, got seven goals, five assists. And uh, last season, I think he was voted player of the season. So um, a little bit of an upturn. Had a pretty good World Cup, I would say, compared to Portugal standards. Got a goal and then got two assists against Switzerland, I think. And uh, this season, once he's back, he's been looking very, very good. He's He's got some good numbers, but most importantly, the standard at which he's playing, the intensity at which he's playing, he looks a lot more free of the kind of burden that he was carrying. So maybe just breaking out of the mold maybe trying to assert himself a little, maybe fed up with everything. So uh, positive signs nonetheless, but that's what we're getting. We're getting a player who's endured quite a difficult process for a younger player and uh, is just now trying to express himself to the best of his his potential and, and one that he was hailed for when he was at Benfica. Well, we also know that he met up with Rhys James in London for dinner at one point, too. That was a part of the story that I was waiting for. Maybe details that you had been able to source about the cuisine, the meal that they had, where they went, <laughs> recommendations for a great night out in London. And we're missing on that one, Sam. What's going on? Great food, wonderful meal. I mean, that has been referenced far too many times. I think that's become public knowledge. Everything related to Chelsea is... Now, I think well-known, the fact that he's followed a lot of uh, Chelsea players. Mason Mount was the first one, apparently, that he followed. Um, also said that uh, he was a, a big fan of that. Also said that he liked playing at Stamford Bridge. The fans were very close to the playing field. So a lot of lovely nuggets that have come out of the interview. But I think the focus was mostly on what happened before he came here. So you wouldn't be in a blind spot. But uh, absolutely, the fact that everybody we are linked to has something nice to say about Reese James. Um that's he is he's agent Reese James. He's just doing wonderful things on and off the pitch. So glad that he's got a long term deal and hopefully more to come. Maybe we should send Reese James to the Benfica ground to uh, talk to uh, a particular midfielder during his recovery period. Um, you know, or you know, just in and around that area. That'd be nice. But again, this is the Joao Felix pod, so we want to focus on that and what he can offer. And so there's a lot of strengths here. I think in terms of a player, things that you like, I imagine at one point, a lot of us, uh, at least myself, had him in a FIFA ultimate team, or you ended up bringing him onto a squad in football manager. Sam, as you look at him as a player, I know you have a lot of strengths here, but I almost would ask you to pick your favorite one first about him as a player, and then we can go through some of the other ones because it's a long list, and I just want to help people contextualize maybe what his biggest strength is that he's going to be bringing. I think in terms of domain, you can point to the fact that he's technically very, very strong. He's somebody who is extremely good in tight spaces. I would say his close control is is superb. It's um, probably the best that he wanted to be, considering that he likes dropping into pockets. His playing style is all about 
trying to drop into pockets of spaces, sometimes drops as deep as fullback to try and almost Harry Kane-esque. He will just find these spaces. He will he'll pick up the ball and he'll try to start attacks from there. So um, when he's further up the pitch, when he's in, in the middle of a crowd, his close control, even if the ball is given it given to him at an unideal speed, controls it very well and, and is able to maneuver out of, of difficult situations. Very light, has Velcro on his boots, uh, not quite Dimitar Berbatov level, but but very close, I would say. he's He never really miscontrols the ball as, as much as I've seen him in tight situations. So I would say that is a great asset, something that you would want in the Premier League from an attacker. If you look at Mason Mount, for example, the way he collects the ball in space, is able to turn away from pressure, it's something that Felix does very, very well. So that's basically one of his major strengths. The second one is something that his coaches at Benfica also pointed out. The fact that he's very, very good at spatial awareness. He's a very intelligent player when he interprets space. He's able to anticipate where a certain space is going to drop. So he he waits and he makes a run almost instantaneously. It's almost like he understands space is going to open up, which is very interesting to see with somebody who's like 23 years old. And he's been doing it since he was 18, 19 years old. So maybe tactically very, very switched on, reads the game very well, even against uh, defenses that are very hard to break down. For example, I was watching this game against, I think, Hitafe, where um, they were playing a 5-3-2 formation, so it was essentially very compact. And it was just amazing how he was waiting in the right places at the right time and just bursting into space and often finding himself with a lot of time and space behind the defense with just a simple cross to to create a goal. So looks like he understands space very well. He also scans a lot. So often before receiving the ball, he knows which side he's supposed to turn. He knows exactly where he's supposed to play his next pass and where he's supposed to move. He's very um, oriented towards short one-twos. You will often see him link up with players here and there and try to move into progressive positions. So spatial awareness is all very key to that. I think those two traits technically make him, I think, a standout player. What also makes him really lovely, also in tight spaces, is the fact that he's very clever. He's got a lot of flair. Uh, Not really an elite dribbler, but uh, I would say he's an agent of deception. He's deceptively tall. I, I thought he was five feet, seven inches tall for some reason, but he's actually closer to six feet. He's about... 181 centimeters so he's he's pretty tall and uh, for that frame he's able to move very quickly his body shape changes at a second's notice he's also got a lovely short burst of acceleration maybe over the first two three yards he's able to burst past players so he will give you body feints uh, rolls the foot over the ball flicks tricks nutmegs able to just get out of tight positions and looks at ease doing it like he's very happy to to pull those things out and, and try to humiliate a, a defender and try to get into his psyche a little bit. So um, a very clever player, has a lovely amount of cleverness. Um, not an elite dribbler, like I said, possibly because he does not have the physical strength and does not have long-term explosiveness. A lot of people tend to compare him to Kaka, but Kaka is one of the one of the players who I think looked faster running with the ball than he did without it. And I, I don't think Felix is there as yet. So, um, but in terms of skill, in terms of just uh, the ability to maneuver, I think he's he's very, very good. All things to be excited about. We're going to take a very quick ad break as we jump into a whole lot more strengths and then talk about maybe some of the opportunity areas within his game as well that maybe he'll get a chance to develop on over the next six months. But we're going to be right back after these words from our sponsors. So thank you to them and go. All right, Sam. So continuing to move down the list of strengths, there's a few more that you wanted to highlight as well. Uh, yes, I think uh, his hold-up play and uh, his ability to use his body to shield the ball is interesting. I think it'll be something that benefits him uh, when he's in the Premier League. It's interesting when I was doing my research, he references this in, in an interview. He says, since I'm not very strong physically, I have to compensate with other characteristics. And I think a little further ahead, I predict things before they happen, which allows me to be better positioned and make more passes for finishing. So essentially somebody who's, who understands that he's limited in terms of strength, but the way he positions his body, um, either to shield the ball or either just to draw a foul is, is very good. I think it'll help him 
in the Premier League also tends to frustrate his opponents a lot. A lot of the times he he knows a foul is coming and then just uses his body to draw a yellow card and then immediately his marker is under pressure. So he, again, with a player who's that clever and able to, to you know, give you problems 1v1 and then give you a lot of things to think about, I think he, he thrives off that. So it's, again, uh, I would say a minor strength that he utilizes very well. Um, the other thing that I would like to reference is, is his heading. He's surprisingly good at heading the ball. He's got some very, very good goals, um, headed goals. He's got this ability to, to give it a good amount of direction, also generates a lot of power. So uh, somebody who may be as good, you know, as a as a Kai Havertz when he's in the box, using his positioning, uh, getting in behind defenders and making sure that he's in the right space for a cross and, and then score it. Not really good at aerial duels. Like, for example, you will often see him not jump or you will often see him um, not really compete when, when he doesn't feel like it. So he's a little inconsistent there. But when he does jump with this usual aggression, with his usual leap, tends to win the ball more often than not. So he's surprisingly good in the air. I think people will be surprised uh, that a guy with his creative technical abilities is actually good in the air. So you might see him score a few headers. I, I would uh, hedge a strong bet on that. And uh, a couple of other things that come to mind are his shooting. He's actually a good ball striker and, and tends to take a lot of good shots from outside the box. He can also shoot with either foot. So um, it does very well. And he's also good at shooting the ball when he's traveling it at uh, good speed. You know, he doesn't have to slow down. He just uh, travels well and then shoots it very accurately. He needs to do that more. I don't think his goal tally tends to reflect how good he is in that respect. But um, could do very well if if asked to, to shoot a little more. So maybe that's one to keep an eye on. And the last thing I would say is his vision. I think his is ability to perceive space plays into that. He's switched on to a lot of opportunities to play teammates in. He's got a very low-key pass count. He doesn't really reflect his intelligence there, but maybe that's just uh, down to the, the system that he's playing in and the fact that he's usually the first player to get into um, a counter-attacking position. He's the first, most advanced player to get the ball. So he doesn't really have time or space to play um, a lot of balls in, but when he's playing as the second forward, which is the strongest position, when he's playing a little deeper, very good at finding through balls. You know, he's very good at picking up players and runners behind the last line. He has some good passing, can improve his long passing, can improve his creative passing, but the vision is there. He's somebody who sees options, and I think um, he needs to to improve it to reflect that. I don't think his assists and and big chances created numbers in Spain have reflected that. But if he works on a lot more, if he's given a lot more runners in front of him, I think he can be a pretty decent creator. Yeah, when you look at some of the shot metrics, it's really interesting. So, I mean, you typically would go to looking at attacking effectiveness first, just within that goals and assists minus PKs per 90. And he actually, for the current season for Atletico Madrid, is number two overall at 0 0.75 uh, in terms of per 90s. So that's for his total contribution of five goals, three assists. And that's right behind uh, Anton Griezmann, who's at 0 0.77 on six goals and seven assists. And John Felix has done that in under a 1,000 minutes of total playtime this season. And when you start to dig into how frequently is he taking shots? So this season obviously has not been a, a full season yet. So we'll kind of just take that under consideration. He, the prior two seasons, had 10 goals apiece. So double digits for two seasons in a row. Had 64 shots in the 20 uh, and 21 season. And then the 21-22 season had 53 total shots for those 10 goals. So his, his total volume of shots actually for a limited number of appearances this season is just right about 40. So it definitely seems like the volume of shots is starting to increase a bit. And of those 40 shots, he actually returned and is having his shy, highest shots on target season um, out of any of the seasons he's had, whether that's at Benfica or Atletico Madrid at 46.2%. So from the shooting perspective, it does seem like there is at least this season a little bit of evolution, even in a, in a reduced role that he's been playing on the side this year. No, definitely. I think he's he's 
trying to take on a little more responsibility. I think he's sort of breaking off the shackles and, like I said, trying to embrace the role that he's uh, that he's been given at Atletico. He's had to do a lot of responsibilities as an attacker. I would say anywhere else in Europe, he would have fared better. Any other team he would have picked, I think his skills would have been a lot more on show. But it's just what Simeone demands of him, off the ball, you know, when when um, you're out of possession, the amount of defensive work you have to do, the amount of pressing you have to do, and then find the energy to make those bursts forward from deeper positions and, and then find the energy to shoot. I think it takes a toll on you. It definitely takes a toll on you. But um, even, for example, the shooting volume that you're saying, I think his shots per game this, this season is around 1.9. Um, and our most prolific shooter is Kai Havertz with about 2.1. So there's really not a lot of difference in terms of shot volume. Um, and it's something that we've referenced. I think we talked about this after the last podcast ended. I was trying to explain why exactly I'm a little worried with uh, with where they're going. I mean, Felix is a good signing, but he doesn't, he doesn't address underlying issues. Um, you remember when I asked you how bad we were at shooting? Uh, out of 98 teams in Europe's top five leagues, where do you think we rank in terms of shots per 90? Uh, so as we, we discussed, maybe we'll, we'll give the listeners a second because then they can think about it. And Sam, mm-hmm. why don't you reveal how bad our shooting is? Yeah, we are 80th out of 98 teams. So um, that seems bad. Is that bad? <laughs> it is. It is extremely bad. I would. I would say that it's catastrophic. Um, I, I've said this to you also. I think we're lucky to be 10th. I think we are just about lucky to be where we are. We haven't really produced anything to merit the position that we are in. We should be far, far deeper down the table. And I don't put any blame on our attackers as well. You know, I, I feel bad for Aubameyang because um, in eight games, he's had one big chance and, and that's the one he missed at Nottingham Forest. The other one he scored. But if your striker is not getting any big chances, I, I agree when you say that, yes, you need to have your centre forward creating chances for itself. But how often can you do that on, a, on an every game basis? You know, you look at Darwin Nunez, look at how many chances he's missed. Look at Mohamed Salah, look at look at Sadio Mane, look at the amount of chances Lewandowski misses. When you have a number nine, a clinical number nine like, like Aubameyang, you want him to get as many big chances as possible. And it's happened over and over again, where a lot of good forwards have come to us and, you know, just haven't had the chances and their heads have dropped and then they've said, you know, not worth it. I think it's it's easier to play elsewhere. So I think that's going to be the overall issue. But Felix is somebody who despite his modest short volume, will hopefully try to add a little more um, auxiliary stuff that we're lacking. We are lacking somebody who's good in terms of take-on threat, somebody who's able to to open defenses with his passing. Um, So hopefully that's the quality that we're looking at. And I'll explain why exactly in the potential section later down in in, um, the podcast, but I think that's what um, the hierarchy is looking at, those qualities that we're missing. And so as we kind of round out on this area, you know, in the terms of strengths, there's a lot of really good things here. There's a lot of things to be excited for, even if this is a short-term plug as it stands today. And again, this is a loan deal through the end of the season. Atletico Madrid did not want to put in a buy clause to the deal because I think they feel that Dual Felix has much value if this loan deal goes extremely well to Chelsea and then also to the broader market as well. So this is very much, uh, it can feel like a little bit of a favor to an agent sometimes in terms of Mendez. That's one way to read this situation. Another is that Chelsea weren't as desperate for attacking resources in December when some of the initial rumors of this deal came out as they are now, again, with that depleted bench of attacking support. But we have to go into this eyes wide open. And so Shane asked the question, and it leads us into our section here, which is what are the weaknesses? What are the things that we're not going to necessarily see from Joao Felix's game that we today just need to be aware of so that we don't set ourselves up for disappointment because it's just not a part of his game or it's something that we, if you're expecting it of him, he's not going to be giving it. Um, so like I mentioned, I think, Dan, he's going to struggle physically. I think in terms of strength, he will have to be of a certain standard when he's playing in the forward line. Um, good struggle in that respect. He has a low center of gravity. 
So he's very crafty. He's able to to maneuver past players. I think that's his strength. He's able to turn that aggression against them. So if if you're trying to tackle him with aggression, he's he reads that and he tries to use that against you. But uh, a lot of the cleverer defenders, the wiser old heads who've, who've got the strength and the ability to read the game, I think they will give him a tough time. You know, he's going to be clattered a lot. He's going to be basically brushed off. He's, he's going to be made to feel that the level is beyond him. So he has to take that on his chin. And I think he he will struggle in that respect. A lot of the times you see him getting barged over in La Liga. Um, he, he tries. He tries to hold the ball up. And, and most of the times he's able to link up play decently. But uh, with the reduced amount of spaces, and especially in a system like ours, where link-up play has been non-existent. I don't remember the last time where we consistently got four or five quick sequences uh, away in terms of passes and then getting into the position box. It's It's been very, very rare. So um, I'm not sure how it's going to play out for him, but strength is is something that I would have wanted ideally from, from somebody coming into the Premier League. So I think that's going to be an issue. Um, the second one is inconsistency. I think his biggest minus is that he can be very inconsistent. Obviously has seen an upturn in form recently, but um, most of the times you see his brilliance in glimpses. It's their one game and the second one he just disappears. There have been also long spells during games where when I'm like, wait, how many minutes ago was it that Felix had a touch? Because he he disappears and, and tends to be a little you know, just does a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of um, act where he just disappears in, in certain acts. So maybe he needs to be a lot more influential, definitely needs to be more consistent. I think that's that's something that he has to do. And in a four-month, five-month loan, he's not going to have time to, to be able to play one good game and then disappear for two more. He'll find himself on the bench very quickly when, when other attackers come back. And yeah, I mean, the third one, uh, I would say, is uh, injuries. I think he's also been um, hit with a lot of small-scale injuries. He's had some niggles here and there. Last season, he missed 13 games. And there was one point, I think he was playing with a broken foot. So um, he said that he, he had a broken bone in his foot and he was playing with it. He was playing through the pain barrier. I don't know if that's a psychological strength uh, and, and a physical weakness, but uh, he's he's gone through those spells where frustratingly he's been out. He's built up some kind of form and he's been out. And we've had a lot of players in that mold. We've seen Kristen Pulisic do that. So um, can he afford to do that here is, um, is an interesting question. And uh, when we were asking for questions to come from, um, from our listeners, before the pod, Ajay Bose was asking, how will he fare in physical battles? Um, the interesting thing is, I think he is aggressive. He has that application. He has that uh, mentality that he will press, he will counter press when, when he loses the ball. Uh, but he does this in spells. I think he's he's got this balance now. I think he understands he has to be clever in a Simeone system that he can't afford to be a Kohea where he's completely sprinting all game and doesn't really matter if he gets a goal or not, but uh, what has to be a little more level-headed. So what he does is when the ball is in his vicinity, then he presses, then he counter presses. But when it comes to um, the ball being away from him, he tends to just be close to his marker. And then after that, when the ball goes away from him, he just drifts to a position where he's free to receive. You know, he's, he's made himself enough space to, to start a counter-attack. So I think that's one thing that's always been on his mind, that I need to be somebody in this Atletico system who's going to be the spark to the side scoring goals. So will he be able to duel? I think he does. He he does put in some really good sliding tackles. Um goes in aggressively, has a good mindset. So you will see him do stuff. But uh, in terms of aerial duels, I think he could struggle. Um, I think he could, get, he could get easily brushed aside when he's going against stronger players. But uh, remains to be seen how strong his mind is in terms of how he responds to it. Yeah, when taking a look back at that injury history, because I think that's one that is going to set off alarm bells for a listener who 
isn't looking at maybe the trajectory of where those injuries hit over the course of last season. And so uh, some of those were bucketed in the beginning of the season, which was when it was an ankle fracture, it looks like, that he had for the first run of matches. And then he was uh, fairly healthy until November last year, had a couple of matches back-to-back with some muscle injury, uh, did have COVID in early January. And then it was the end of last season where he ended up missing match weeks 33 through 38 with a kind of that ongoing muscular injury as well. And so uh, it does seem to tend to be some of those soft tissue issues that we have seen. Um, But when you look at the start of this season, um, outside of a couple matches where he was not in the squad for the Copa del Rey, um, he has had a generally clean bill of health when it comes to this season. Uh, there was one yellow card suspension, one match he was on the bench, but in general, this has been a uh, a good run of form for him. Obviously, they played uh, 16 matches here uh, in the La Liga season before making the move over to uh, to Chelsea on loan. Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, injuries are, again, going to be a massive question mark, especially we don't have really the margin for error in terms of um, allowing other attackers to get injured. I think Sterling is now out for a bit. Pulisic is out for a couple of months. Breuer is out long-term. Um, the only attacking uh, guys we have are Aubameyang, who wants to leave, and then there's Kai Havertz, and we have David Datrofovana, who's basically untested in the league. So when you're buying an attacker for on loan for that amount of money for a short-term deal, the least you could expect from him is availability and fitness. So. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely one cause to be concerned about. But he stayed fit this season. I don't think he's had any issues this season. So touch wood and, and hope for the best and plan for the worst. Yeah, and just uh, know where you can donate any uh, extra hamstrings that you just don't feel comfortable uh, <laughs> continuing to use. You can uh, deliver them right up to Chelsea, and I'm sure we can find a good use for them. But as we transition, let's get to the potential and where we think he could deliver for us. And I think that the question came up, a couple of people asked it, uh, uh, Saval, uh, Haromi, Nick, all asked the question in similar fashion of, hey, what's the most realistic expectation we should have for a six-month loan? Or would it be something where if it goes well, should we try and get a permanent transfer done? And so I think those are two different questions. So maybe just let's tackle the idea first of what would a great six months look like for Joao Felix at Chelsea? Oof, that's a tough one. I think um, I've I've learned better than to say that I expect these many goals from a player at Chelsea, um, especially when they're a forward player. So I'm going to refrain from doing that. But I would say that um, I think he's been brought in to, to be a six-month cover for Nkunku. That's my feeling. I think that um, if... It would have been possible for the hierarchy to get Christopher Nkunku in January on a on a on a January deal. I think it would have happened if it wasn't for his injury. I think then you would have had six months to blood him in, make sure that he understands his role in the side, get a preseason, and then start all over again. So, but um, that hasn't been possible. And with the injuries that we've had, I think this has been just a stopgap measure to say who is a profile or who's a player who's similar to Christopher Nkunku in there. And I would say Nkunku and Felix share a lot of traits in terms of how they act on the field, in terms of the the zones of influence. Both of these guys are best as a second forward. Both of them want to drift left and make sure that they're dropping deep, linking up play, and then have enough speed and agility to run behind the last line. So a lot of similarities. Both have also added heading and, and movement to their game, despite not being centre-forwards as such. So um, I think that's what the the sense in this deal is. I don't think anybody is going to pay 80 to 88 million, which is Atletico's valuation of uh, Joao Felix post um, the, the four-month, five-month loan. So I think it's just a short-term benefit for both sides. You know, there's the reports that Diego Simeone is leaving Atletico at the end of the season. So could just be trying to get tensions apart make sure Felix is in a good state of mind, picks up a little PL experience like Saul, comes back rejuvenated under a new manager and gets firing away. 
So I think that's what the the logic is, and also a, a favor to to Mendes after what happened with Enzo. So I think those also factors come in. But the most realistic expectation I would say is to stay fit, you know, stay available, and uh, I would say take some creative burden off Mount. A lot of the debate and then. Um, atrocious squabbling has been, oh, Felix is going to replace Mount and the other way around. But I think Mount will be the happiest to see Felix. I think he needs somebody to share that creative burden, to have somebody who's as good between the lines, who's able to create, and who's able to, to facilitate a lot more for the attackers. It's just the question is, who is that number nine to play ahead of him? And it's the same situation that Mount has also faced. It's a lot of stress to carry as a creator, not just to create, but also to score. So I think uh, the realistic expectation would be, I think, get six goals, five assists or more in the remaining, what, 14, 15 games? How many games are remaining? 18 games, right? We're almost halfway through. So maybe I think if you can get a goal or assist every other game, I think it, I would be pretty pleased with that. I think it would be enough to, to get us somewhere near the Europa League, hopefully by some miracle near the Champions League. But uh, most importantly, stay fit and and take some burden off mount and add some creative injection into the site and hopefully rejuvenate a flagging front line. Well, if he were, so you're saying a, a goal or assist per one of the other per 90. So effectively a, a point, a point five um, so that you would get one every other game in terms of his contribution. Is is that kind of where you think it is? Or, or do you think it's like a 1.0, a goal, like a full goal or an assist per 90? No, I, I think that would be unrealistic. I would say okay. a goal or assist 0.5. So I think his, his um, output, his creative output uh, hasn't been matched since his season at Benfica. I think um, when he played at Benfica, he had 15 goals and 7 assists in 26 games. Um, and he created 12 big chances. That's, yeah, that's world-class form. That's essentially, you know... Um, sit up and take notice kind of form, but it hasn't been emulated since. So uh, I think it's fair to say after a three-season layoff that you need to have your expectations at a modest level. So if he just contributes and then gets the frontline flagging, I would just say that if he's able to create a lot more shooting opportunities, if he gets us off 80th from 98 teams to somewhere around 48th or 30th with, with just creating shots for good forwards, I'd be happy. I think the team in general will be will be happy, um, will improve with the amount of shots that the forwards want to take. I think that's what you're expecting from, from a signing in is more. Just lift the ceiling, you know, just make sure that uh, we're taking more shots, we're getting into better positions, and uh, hopefully chip in with a goal or two. Yeah, I mean, if you look at who the most prominent and highest minute shot creating per 90 individual in our team is, um, if you take out the... Amari Hutchinson, Lewis Hall, Chuck Omeka, who just haven't played a lot of full 90s, and so theirs is skewed a little heavily. Let's look at someone who has 6.8 90s, and uh, they've created 22 shot-creating actions. Uh, I don't think I need to give you a hint on this one, Sam, but it is absolutely Reese James, who, uh, even missing time to injuries, uh, is the individual at 324 shot creating actions per 90 then you go down to raheem sterling at 3.15 39 shot creating actions and uh, actually then connor gallagher and christian pulisic uh beneath them in terms of the, the that kind of you know top list of people who also have the minutes to back it up joao felix this season currently at 4.26 shot creating actions per 90 and that is the highest number of shot creating actions per ninety that he has uh, averaged. Uh, you know, again, this is you know half of the the typical number of matches he's played. So you know there could be some regression from that, and there also is a, a league adaptation. But his highest season before this one was three point four two, which is that Benfica season that you mentioned previously. So I think from a poten- potential standpoint, there is a a, a higher floor of expectation that I think we should carry for someone like Joel Felix, even though there are legitimate concerns that you highlighted about maybe just some of the, the, the fit into the league, some of the inconsistency that he's run into, uh, but maybe indexing a little bit more on the excitement and the possibility of what Felix could bring over that six month spell. Yeah, I think um, it definitely lifts you up. I think it's, 
it's been a little dire. We haven't seen signs of the team gelling. There have been too many rotations. Not just blame blame Porter for that, but it's just injuries. You know, he, he's tried to play one you know set of attackers at one point, and then after that, some injuries happened, and somebody's had to go off. So he's had to switch Raheem Sterling from the left hand side to the right. Then you've seen Hakim Ziyech come in, and then after that, it's been like just everywhere. So I think getting somebody who can offer a little bit of of impetus to all those players. I think Felix is somebody who's played with a varied set of attackers at Madrid. You know, he's um, um, got Matthias Cunha, he's got uh, Antoine Griezmann, he's got uh, Cohea, uh, who he's played with. So, three different attackers. He's got Alvaro Morata, who's also a different attacker. And he's contributed something to each one of them. He's He's done pretty well with each one of them. It's not like he's averse to playing with with a different quality of attacker or he can only perform with with a certain kind. He has something to offer to everybody. And considering the profiles that we have at the club, I think it it would be nice for him to to actually link up and provide a little more to to everybody else. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Maybe Raheem Sterling, when he comes back, will benefit from that. Harvards has been somebody who's been starved for for opportunities. He's been having to create by himself. You know, he's he's playing like a Simeone player. Like I think I'm, you know, Kai Harvards for the last year and a half, the amount of defensive work he has to do, the amount of running around, and then he has to go in and contribute in attack. So I can understand that happens. Uh, but I think it's if you if you look at Felix, then it's it's somebody who can offer a little respite to him as well in terms of offering better better creative output and uh, creating more shots. Like you say, just, just try and get your shot tally up. You're not going to score if you don't shoot. So um, get that get supply line up and uh, hopefully he can be a key part of that until the summer where we can assess our options and make the next decision. Well, we're going to have a few more things to discuss. We're going to talk about player parallels at Chelsea. We're going to talk about how that fit with players like Kai Havertz, Raheem Sterling, or others is going to look like. But before we do that, we're going to take our last break. break. So thank the sponsor for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Sam. So as we get to the end of this episode, we have a few more questions from our listeners who wanted some more insight around Joao Felix at Chelsea. And one of the things was... A question from uh, Arifiril who is asking, how or what is the best position and system for him? And I think that's a challenge because we've seen different attacking fronts, single strikers, uh, you know, the the free three four three at times. We've seen a striker behind another striker. We've seen our attackers trying to all occupy the same space at times. What is the way that we're going to get the best out of Joao Felix and? How then, you know, I think in correlation, that should help Chelsea because he is a strong attacker. And if we've gotten the best out of him, we likely are having an attack that is humming more than it has right now. It's probably purring like a wonderful engine versus, uh, you know, making some of those noises you don't like when you're about to bring your car to the shop. Yeah, this one's this one's a tough question to answer because um, he is, I would say a lot of people say that he doesn't have a fixed position. I think he's. He's best as a second forward. You either play him with a conventional number nine or you play him behind somebody. So you allow him to drop. You allow him to, to pick up spaces and basically orchestrate play from there. He's somebody who will link the midfield to attack very well. He's somebody who will um, be very key in transitions, who's able to, to deliver output at high speeds. He's also able to hold the ball up when required so that you can get runners in. So the ideal formation would be something that you know, you've found at Atletico, which is um, a two-man strike formation with uh, somebody on the right-hand side. He's, again, like he's played with a variety of guys. He's played with an Antoine Griezmann. He's played with a Murata. Murata tends to be a pretty good fit for him. Um, Griezmann also has done pretty well. So um, I would say pair him, up, pair him up with a second forward, you know, pair him up with somebody who's able to occupy the centre-backs and uh, allow him to pick spaces, allow him to do his own thing. He's somebody who can be tactically disciplined. Um, he's played as the left winger or he's played as a wide playmaker inside forward, I would say, on the left-hand side for Portugal. A position that was uh, Rafael Leao's, but purely because of how well he could 
um, direct attacks from there. He could offer movement. He could come inside. He could draw the fullback inside. Um, he offers a lot of variety of threat even without the ball. So uh, you would ideally want him to play on the left side of attack, which is a, a position that we are lacking severely with Pulisic's injury. So I think if Graham Porter has to play something, it could be a 4-2-3-1. Maybe get uh, Harvards up front, maybe Mount behind him. And then on the left, you've got Felix. And on the right, Raheem Sterling or Hakim Ziyech, whichever one you want to get. And maybe in defensive midfield, you have um, a pairing of Zakaria and, and Kovacic or, or Jorginho or, or any other midfielder that we can think of. So that could be an option. Or otherwise, you find a way to fit him in a in a two-striker system. We haven't played that recently. We've moved to a 4-3-3, um, which can also be an option with him. Maybe he can uh, feature on the left-hand side of attack. Especially it works for him because he's not really good in terms of defensive tracking and then doing it religiously. But when you've got somebody like a Marco Correa who um, doesn't really offer a lot in the attacking third but uh, likes to defend in the front foot, I think you can afford to take that risk of playing him on the left-hand side of a 4-3-3. So left-hand side of a 4-3-3, uh, maybe in a 4-2-3-1 on the left-hand side or in a two-striker formation, whether it's a 4-4-2, whether it's a 3-5-2, if you want to go back three. So those are the systems that I would think of. I think with the current options we have, Aubameyang would have been a good fit. I think it would have been nice, but his body language hasn't been the best. He's clearly unhappy. Um, and it looks like after he got subbed in and subbed out. I think that sort of led to a lot of strain between him and, and Porto in terms of the professional relationship. So maybe it's best to to try and get Havertz on the right-hand side as a right-sided forward and then get Felix who's a right-footed, left-sided forward and then try to figure out from there. Try to get your attacking with your midfielders to run from deeper positions at the centre-backs and get Felix to create something for you. All right. So as we go forward... That's how he would benefit Chelsea. But you mentioned this a little bit earlier when you talked about the benefits of someone like Mason Mount. We had uh, Bacante, Jessica, and Joey all asking similar questions that who benefits the most when Felix is up and running and doing a great job? You know, So maybe you could stack rake him if you want, or you can just leave him as an un- unnumbered, unordered list if you prefer. But it'd be kind of nice to think about Who's the one, two, three? Who is who's the happiest person at Cobham today because Joao Felix is here? I would say the entire front line should be happy. I think he's <laughs> somebody who will I think he's somebody who will offer a little bit of respite. He will. I think he's somebody who um, you know, Griezmann, for example, uh, did pretty well. Um, I was watching again a game, I think it was Atafe, where he provided three assists in the same game. And one, I think two to Morata and one to Griezmann. And uh, it was it was great because he was dropping everywhere. He was trying to exploit these gaps with his passing, constantly trying to give um, the opposition defenders something to think about. So when you have somebody who's creating that amount of chaos in deeper positions, I think you need to allow him some amount of creative reign to to execute his his creativity. And then hopefully, when you're trying to play something like a three four two one, something that Tuchel was trying to, but we genuinely had no attackers who could play in those deeper positions and offer creativity. We were playing uh, Timo Werner, we were playing Kai Havertz, who are, who are not really in that mode. You know, you don't expect them to create um, consistently with, with passes that cleave the defence or um, balls over the top and accurately finding strikers. You don't expect them from a Timo or a Kai. So if you have, say, a Joao Felix and a Mason Mount behind, say, a Kai Havertz, I think it would be a pretty great system in terms of getting something out from the attack. When you have two creators in the side, then you have uh, one guy who's got license to make runs into the box from deeper positions. I think it would be really, really good. Going back to a back three, now that we have Badia Shile, for example, doing a 3-4-2-1 that works so well under Tuchel, hopefully shores up that defense, hopefully gives us a little more attacking license, gives us a little more creativity and um, Mount will also benefit. I think he'd be very happy to have somebody of his caliber because as you've seen, Mount is also attempting to make a lot of runs into the box. He's trying to get in behind the last line whenever he's trying to get space. So everybody in the front line should be happy. Maybe Ziyech not so much because he relies a lot on himself to, to create opportunities for himself and everybody else. But um, every other attacker in the front line, I think would be uh, an interesting option. I think it would be very uplifting for them to have 
some reinforcements at a time where everybody's come back from the World Cup burnt out. Another question from good friend and part of the Porto 5, Andrew, and then also William, another one of our listeners. Who is going to get Felix the ball? Because the question or the statements that you have made and I have made and this podcast have made and generally most even low football knowledge individuals have said, hey, it'd be great if Chelsea got a midfielder who could do things like set up attackers. And so I do understand the premise of the question. I think there are a couple ideas in my mind of how this could work. But as you start to think about Potter putting together his side and figuring out how that ball is going to get to Felix, who are the primary individuals who will put it on the plate for him? I think Atletico move it to him in different ways. Again, they have a different system, a completely different system where you have as many as um, nine, ten outfielders defending at one time, extremely deep in your own half. So when the ball breaks loose, the counterattack actually begins from as close to your goal as it can be. So getting the ball to him there isn't really an issue. But when you're talking about when your team is settled in possession then you would want to try and get somebody like a Marco Correa, for example, to play on the front foot and find him between lines. It's something that Correa has done very well at Brighton. I think he's been bought in for that. Unfortunately, with his tonsillitis, with his loss of form, um, it hasn't been possible as 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 of late, but uh, hopefully it's something that he can do. He's been very, very good at trying to laser in those passes past those lines and into attackers who are trying to drop. And Felix, for example, is somebody who won't really be a Rafael Leao. He won't wait on the left wing for passes. Sometimes he'll drop right next to Kukureya and get the ball. So he's he's adept at that as well. He's very Harry Kane-like where, you know, you don't really have midfielders of the caliber of San Enzo Fernandez to find you between lines. He'll come and collect the ball himself and he'll try to do something with it. So I think he's self-sufficient in terms of getting the ball. So he can do it. But somebody like a Benoit Badiashil, I think, can also do it. You play him as the left side of a three. Koulibaly, again, somebody out of form, but very good with his progressive passes. I think before his Leeds red card, he was leading the league in terms of uh, line-breaking passes. He, he had some 114 or something at one. So um, he, was, he was very good with those. So we have a lot of left-sided options who can break lines and get the ball to him. Thiago Silva is the long-term option in terms of long-passing option, apologies, with uh, finding him with long balls in the left side if the attack, if the uh, opposition is trying to focus their pressing on the right-hand side. So maybe he can be the out ball on the left. But uh, there are options. There are definitely options to do so. Um, maybe Jorginho, but also again out of form. So central midfield is definitely an issue. I think centrally he won't find too much joy. So he will have to do a lot of the work himself and rely on the left side of defense to help him out. Yeah, that sounds right to me in terms of the fact that he's going to have to, at times, be the individual creating a little bit of magic because right now a lot of the magic is not there in the attack. And just hopefully by his presence, it is going to draw attackers in. It is going to create more opportunities for others. You know, we we do know at some point Ben Chilwell will be back this season. And I actually think a left-hand side of Joao Felix and Ben Chilwell could be a really exciting combination, but uh, that's maybe just looking a little too far beyond the initial problem, which is Fulham by the time people are listening to this, and then some matches against uh, Liverpool and others before the winter break for the Premier League coming up. But I'd love to, I'd love to hear your ideas as well. I think you told me that you you had some ideas in terms of how to get the ball to him. I would love to know that what you think would be an ideal solution. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think the idea of having uh, a one-two of, of Havertz and, and Joao Felix up top with, you know, Mason kind of maybe tucked in between and then you have a midfield of Kovacic, Zakaria or uh, Chukwameka and Kovacic is kind of a three working together would be uh, interesting to me. I, w- I would like to see that combination at some point. Uh, I, I do think your comment about, you know, Kukurea, I, I'm excited about when Chilwell is back. Um, I mean, if we, oh goodness, if we only had Ian Matson back uh, right now and not on loan, I'd be very interested to see what he could be doing on the left-hand side uh, with Giao Felix as well, playing on that more uh, left-sided individual. I also 
don't think it's out of the realm of possibility given uh, a little more of the the size. I mean, we, we saw uh, David Dr. Fafana uh, muscle through muscles way through one city player the other night. And uh, there, there weren't many positives of that game, but that was a nice one. Be really interesting to see if he could create some space uh, between the center backs for Felix to float into. Um, I know we obviously don't know from a, at this level, can he do it? Uh, but I'm, I feel certain that he's going to get at least one or two opportunities given the uh, the bench issues we have right now where he might be able to stake a claim. And if your best benefit in this season is that you get one or two goals, uh, to, you know, a couple of goals to start and you can help enable someone else to be great, that would be uh, that would be beyond the high watermark of what we set for David Dr. Fafana in the episode we did about him as well, Sam. No, definitely. I think there's there's a lot of exciting possibilities, I think. In every crisis, there's an opportunity. So when you see the likes of Dr. Fofana come straight from Norway and then, you know, put in a performance, which was obviously uh, as a team performance is very torrid, but showed a couple of glimpses of the quality he has. I think it's interesting in terms of trying to play those combinations, maybe in the last 30 minutes and see what what can happen. Um, So I think that can also be tested out by Graham Porter. I think now at this point, um, the hierarchy can just tell him, look, 11 injuries, I think that's outlandish. So if you've got to make the best of what you have, just go for it. You know, you've got Fofana, you want to try Andre Santos, you can do that. You want to try something with Bari Ashil, you can do it. I think he's got free re- reign right now. He can afford to experiment. Couldn't make those options stick with um, with a full squad. I think if he has to try something drastic, he, he needs to do it now. But also interestingly, Dan, I think uh, this is a point I, I sort of forgot to mention. But in terms of forwards who like taking touches in the penalty area, it's it's strange because Felix doesn't really have a lot of touches in the attacking penalty area. He, he takes very few touches. Most of his touches are arriving late into the box and then finishing. But uh, for example, a Timo Werner was averaging almost around 10 or 9 touches in the penalty area when he was playing for us. And always depended on getting the ball, you know, in the penalty area so he could create shots and he could get them away. Felix is averaging 2.92 this time in La Liga. And um, the last couple of seasons, 3.71, 2.86 when Atletico won the La Liga. So La Liga, not the La Liga. Apologies for the Spanish purists, including my girlfriend who's listening to this podcast. Uh, and 3.56 in his first um, season at Atletico. So he's not really somebody who prolifically depends on supply. Like I said, he will create his own avenues in terms of dropping in terms of trying to get into the box in the right areas, arrive late, and um, and fashion shots for himself. So I don't think you have to worry too much about getting a supply line in. But if you can get him in the right positions at the right time, if if the progressive party routine on the left-hand side can get their form up, can get their consistency up, then I think things start clicking. But uh, again, it's a short-term deal. I wouldn't want to expect anything long-term. I think this is just... Um, a cover for for Nkunku. I think Nkunku would have been the first choice. So um, that's that's my read on it. I think um, this is just a player who's very similar to that and can help in the short term. That's about it. So the last question that we had was around mentality. And it's a question we had asked about a lot. I think in particular, Gabriel might be asking the question on the back of a really sour performance for the entire squad against Manchester City. Does Joao Felix have that mentality, kind of mentioning that the the team needs leadership right now, uh, and are we worried he would have a fallout with Potter like he did uh, with Simeon? Is that something from the way that we've talked about it? We highlighted a lot of things in terms of his strengths and his opportunities, but maybe that was one thing that we didn't touch on in terms of just his ability to maybe have mental resiliency in moments of, of the he's entering a moment of crisis. And so uh, you should hopefully have some mental resiliency if you're jumping into Chelsea in this exact moment of time for even a, uh, a short little uh, opportunity to be a be a superhero. Well, I think there are certain things that are, I think, a subjective free to anybody who's who's listening in. For example, earlier this season, when Atletico were playing in the Champions League in a game against Club Bruges. Simeone asked him to warm up three times and then didn't, you know, send him back to the bench. So it is psychologically 
damaging. I think it it is sort of a little humiliating as well as a player when you're you know consistently going out, warming up, and asked to sit down. Um, it's happened a lot of times where it looks like Felix is just fed up. He's he's basically a Chelsea striker. You know, he's he's just fed up with everything that is happening in and around and um, doesn't really want to to give it his best anymore. But even despite that, he's picked himself up. He's put in some very good performances this season for the same manager. So I think in terms of trying to put aside differences, trying to remain professional, he's done that. When I was reading up on his initial routes, there were some interesting quotes. There was apparently a time at Porto when he wanted to give up football, when he just said that, you know, I'm done. I don't get game time. I'm I'm not really trying, I'm not really making it as a footballer. And it was his father who convinced him to keep on going. So um he's he's had those issues in the past and he's overcome that. And like I said at a different time in the podcast, he's also played with a broken foot, you know, through a couple of games. I don't know how right that is. Or if that's sort of like compensation for his his bad performances, but if it's really true, it it does give you hope about somebody who's mentally headstrong, who's resilient, as you said, and and wants to give his best. So mentality wise, when I see him, um, there are some signs of of fight. I would say there's some signs of uh, he cares. There's a lot of times when he doesn't get the right pass and he makes his feelings known. Um, even against uh, seasoned professionals, he'll come back and say that, you know, should have played the pass properly, should have released it earlier, makes his frustrations known. So, um, and then he goes into tackle strong. Sometimes he'll go, you know, very, very aggressively into a challenge. He'll try to win the ball back extremely hard. So he's got that fight in him. I think he's he's got some glimpses of it. But again, the Premier League is a different beast and it'll be interesting to see how well he fares. And as we round it out, just in terms of player parallels, people maybe who've heard all this and they say, great, I understand it. Uh, you painted a really great picture. How do I conceptualize what a mid or really good performance, like a really great performance for Felix would look like over the next six months? Who's a player that you could analogize for people to understand, okay, this is what maybe I should expect if he's good and then if he's great. Well, like I mentioned, and Kunku is a good reference point. I think somebody who is not really a striker, but somebody who can offer both a goal-scoring threat and a creative threat from, from the left-hand side. I think that is what we can expect from a player in his mold. Obviously, some strengths differ in terms of even their dribbling styles both depend on not raw speed and acceleration, but about deception, about being clever, about using nice footwork to get away from pressure. So both of them are pretty similar in that respect. So it can be a prelude to seeing how Nkunku is going to fit in, in the system. And um, I would say Antoine Griezmann is also a very good reference. I think Griezmann is the overpowered, ideal version of, of Joao Felix. If he can get his intelligence, if he can get his his consistent work rate, Griezmann works incredibly hard. He's, he's a fascinating, strong, robust, mentally tough guy. He, he runs a lot. He offers a lot of def- defensive output uh, yet to see that from Felix but also in attack you know somebody who offers good movement who can offer some striking strengths can offer move uh, sort of uh, ball striking can offer a good amount of goal scoring threat so I think Griezmann is what you would want an ideal version of Joao Felix to be if he does develop into that, say, by 24 or 25. A right-footed Joao Felix um, would be, sorry, a right-footed Antoine Griezmann would be the ideal version of a Joao Felix. So hopefully that is something that we will see. Um, He has to up his tenacity, but off the ball, offering some clever threats, making space for other people, scoring some nice headers, getting some nice goals, creating stuff, and, and being selfless, essentially, is is what I'd want him to be. Well, that is going to do it for this episode. And hopefully you're listening to this and we've gotten good news that Joel Felix is going to be aligned to start or make a very large cameo in the match against Fulham. And hopefully everything that we said on the positive side comes true and the weaknesses are nowhere near as big a concern as we brought up in this episode. But we can't thank you enough, Sam, for setting the foundation for all of us and giving us a ton to think about as we welcome Joao Felix, even for a little bit of a short stint 
to Chelsea and as a Chelsea player, you've set us up for as much success as hopefully Graham Potter will set Felix up for as well. And thank you so much, Dan, for for being with me um, during some very challenging times in the transfer market. It has been absolute carnage since um, since the consortium's taken over. I'm not going to lie. I think I watched more games in one year than I have uh, in my entire life combined. It's been crazy, but it's also been uh, it's also been thrilling. It's also during a time when the club is going through so much uncertainty in terms of results. It's been good to look forward. It's been look. It's been good to just sit down and then watch players who could come in and make a difference and and not pay so much attention to what is happening right now. I think it's it's easy to to switch off and say this is not something that I need to see, but this is what makes the victory sweeter. I think um, this process, this rebuilding, finding those right players when it when it actually clicks and you find that right combination, that magical combination to make all of this go away. I think that's what makes it worth it. So hopefully this helps. A big shout out to everybody who's sent in questions. I think these guys are the are the ones that make us who we are. And um, I mean, they've been incredibly kind to me as well. Just to think that I'm worthy of their time to send in questions and and to think that my opinion matters, I think is is very humbling. And I can only hope that I continue being worthy of it. Now, we appreciate it as always. Uh, go send Sam your love as usual. Let him know how much you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I've seen it because uh, Ishan does a good job making sure I get tagged on our player profile specials together. But we appreciate all the positive feedback. If there's more questions you want us to answer, if there's more players you want us to review, we've got time. And we are happy to talk about the potential of where Chelsea can head during this season and maybe who they should continue looking at to really shore up in a few more areas before the end of the January transfer window. But that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We hope you're staying safe and well. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.